Welcome to A Retro Perspective, a video game podcast that takes a look at long-running franchises one game at a time. This season, we're taking a look at Nintendo's flagship IP, The Legend of Zelda. With that out of the way, I'm Carly. And I'm Kyler. Let's get started. When A Link Between Worlds hit 3DS systems in late 2013, the Legend of Zelda series was in the midst of a tailspin. It was coming off the controversy of the motion-control-heavy Skyward Sword and touchscreen-focused handheld games. The series hadn't seen a proper 2D entry since the Capcom-developed Minish Cap back in 2004. With a remake of Ocarina of Time paired as the 3DS's de facto system seller, it begged the question, does Nintendo care about 2D Zelda anymore? So it's no surprise that the announcement of a sequel to A Link to the Past came as a bit of a shock, and for some, a disappointment. Its announcement trailer was dry. The primary colored landscapes were a far cry from the lavish paint job of Ocarina of Time. For a certain generation of fans, it felt like old news. Where was a new game built on Ocarina's engine? Or Majora's Mask for that matter? Who is the audience for this SNES follow-up? The answer, in typical Nintendo fashion, ended up being everyone. The game was released to rave reviews, mostly from folks who grew up with the original SNES classic, while introducing a new generation to vintage Zelda concepts. After spending the better part of a decade tying up the series with new tutorials and trappings, the stripped-down and open-ended Link Between Worlds felt like a breath of fresh air. Where the game could have been a rote retread, it instead signaled a philosophy shift for Zelda as a whole, celebrating its roots while trimming the fat. Nintendo hadn't forgotten its older fans, but even more importantly, it hadn't forgotten itself. It's a testament to A Link Between Worlds quality that it still holds up several years later as the standard bearer for the 3DS. While easy to dismiss it as a remake of an ancient game, it has a polish and depth that can only be understood once you actually play it. In some ways, it's more trusting than even A Link to the Past was. Once again, a Zelda game hands you a gamepad and forces you to ask, what do I want to do next? Well, before we get into any of that, why don't we just start off, as usual, with what we liked about the game. Hey, so here we stand, right on the precipice of the last episode here. And uh, going into this, I didn't know I didn't know if I could even get myself to be super into A Link Between Worlds. But I always, I don't know what it is, but every time I, um, once I just get a little bit into the game, I'm hooked again and I'm, and I'm there from, from start to finish. And I, I really enjoy this game overall, I really do. It's easy to look at it and dismiss it as, you know, dismiss it as redundant in some ways, or maybe even like safe for that regard. But I think like, especially coming off of Skyward Sword, A Link, a link Between Worlds was a very like welcome change of pace to have. Um, I enjoyed a game that both was paced so exceedingly well. I mean, being based on A Link to Past structure helps a lot, but this game is just, it really is a very polished experience overall, and yet still has a kind of freeformness to it. There's a very, very delicate balance of intentional design on top of um, both allowing the player to do so much with their experience of it. And I find I find that to make Link Between Worlds a very replayable game. I actually made it a point to vary up my playthrough significantly more than I used to. I would almost always, like as soon as I hit low rule, I'd always pick up the blue tunic. And I decided to play a little more challenging than that this time around. And I don't remember my exact order. I think I went for some of the key items first and then started going for upgrades. And it was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of cool. And it really opened up the world very quickly. And of course, I picked up the great spin as soon as possible, which didn't break the game as much as I thought it would. But it is (laughs) ridiculously good. All that to say, I really do enjoy this game a lot. Um, And I don't feel it it, uh, either obsolete or... 
is redundant with a length of the past. I feel like they they offered two fairly distinct experiences in their own right, but playing them back to back can be really confusing. I'll tell you that. So there are aspects that I'm, I can't even say aspects. I think the general design ends up leading to a game that's a little bit flat as far as difficulty goes. So it doesn't really ascend and difficulty and thus like create a greater sense of tension as it goes. But I think that small trade-off for the most freeform experience in a Zelda game that we've gotten in a while, um, I think was I think it was at least worthwhile. And I also think the story, I think the story pays off in the end as well. It ends up hitting on a different note than a link the past did, and as much as that there's more maybe I can't say the characters are like that much deeper. They're not particularly, but they're a little more notable at least. Um and it's and it's all brought together in a way that feels kind of old school. Um, but with kind of like the new school, kind of like more recognizable characters kind of brought into play, or at least like a more distinct character design. So the story, the story wraps up really nicely. I, I always, I always am like, eh, the story's okay. And then the ending of the game hits and I love it. I love it every time. So no, I agree. And I, I guess I've only really played it twice. Um, but I, I think both times I've played it, I've been, I've been surprised by how much I really like it. Um, I, and part of what I put into the intro was my own (laughs) anecdotal experience, but when this game was announced, I was not really that excited about it because I kind of felt like I'm, I'm not really a huge 2D Zelda person. So it's not like, oh, cool. We're getting that again. That wasn't, you know, a big deal to me. And also it's like, I just was like, I love the N64 game. So I was hoping we would get something new with like that engine. And so, um, that, and then like A Link to the Past is... I mean, I think it's a really great game, but it's one of my least favorite ones just because it's, I guess it's that it, it, it is a little bit flat to me. And I guess, I don't know, it's just kind of dry. Like I prefer the original Legend of Zelda. Hmm. Um, I don't know what it, there's something about it that just kind of feels like, I think I, I think when we did the episode, I think I described it as like required reading, <laughs> like in an English <laughs> class, like, you know, it's a classic, yeah. but you're like, oh, like sometimes you connect to certain classics that you read and you're like, oh, you're right. I really love that. And other times you're just like reading it to read it. And so that's kind of how the game feels to me. Um, but with this one, I think the thing I was most surprised and then even coming back to it, cause I was kind of like you, I was like, oh, okay, let's play like between worlds. I wasn't really super pumped about it. The frame rate makes is I think a huge part of this game it is so incredibly fluid to play it's like it just controls really great I guess I would really describe this as like one of those games that like to understand it you really really have to play it like you can't watch a video of it you really have to have it in your hands controlling link and like feeling what it's like to experience it um otherwise you're really not gonna get it in my opinion Um, I just think a huge part of it is just like how it controls and the pacing of the dungeons and whatnot. Anyways, yeah, so I I really enjoy it. I think it's very fluid. It's very fun to play. Um, It's so open-ended, which I think is really nice. But like you have the same issue in that, like, I think to me, like kind of the core difference between this and A Link to the Past is like really the difficulty. I think the difficulty, I didn't die once. And I was trying really hard not to because I didn't want to lose. Like, of course I rented like all of the items at once. So I did not want to die and lose all of them. But it's also like, it's pretty easy to not die. And I think the bosses are like much easier. 
but also like it, it doesn't put you in such cheap situations as A Link to the Past did um, with like don't run out of magic and turtle rock, like that kind of stuff. But yeah, combat wise, and I think this is also just part of it having like that full sort of 3D control. It just ends up making combat easier. makes it a lot easier to dodge. Um, and I mean, that was even the thing in the original, which I know we're already getting into comparison, but <laughs> what can you do with this game? Yeah. Uh, but even in the original, the combat was a bit easier um, because you had that diagonal movement that you didn't have in the original Legend of Zelda. So it just kind of feels like that difficulty has been like diluted down to this point, especially since we're still using like a lot of the same enemy designs and whatnot. Whereas I think at this point, if there are more like area of effect type like spells or moves just from a difficulty standpoint we're using a lot of the same enemy concepts but now we're able to really outsmart the enemies and the enemies aren't really able to smart outsmart us because of like the advancement and controls so that's just kind of how i feel generally about the combat it's fun i just wish it was tougher which i guess that's what hero mode's for but meh yeah i think that's probably the biggest thing when it comes down to difficulty. Like it feels it feels like if it was down to the same limitations as Link to the Past, it would be at least somewhat close in difficulty. It wouldn't have the scale per se, but it would have it would at least be sitting on that level. The the fluidity, I think it's very much worthwhile. The controller I love just moving around in this game. It's probably my favorite thing of picking it up is just how quickly you get around. And but you know, not to mention like just the overall pacing is pretty much dead on just like Link to the Past is, which just just makes for a really just nice brisk experience with it so i think it's paced even better like when i go back and play link the past the first three dungeons are like uh in this game okay i asked you this question even after we played it and it's hilarious i can't remember the first you have to do the first dungeon but then the other two you can pick which order right right i believe um all of the rental options will show up after the first dungeon I think. Yeah, I think so. And then you just need the um, the power gloves in order to go up to the Tower of Hera, which you can, I mean, it's, you know, kind of right outside that area. That's pretty much always open after the first dungeon. So I think, yeah, I think even those two dungeons are open up more than it was in A Link to the Past. Yeah, which I think is nice and it helps with the pacing because it doesn't just shuffle you from like place to place as much as A Link to the Past did. I'm trying to remember on the map if it also... It marked your map with the pendants and it marked your map with where the sages were. Yes. It just didn't give you an order. Right. It, it just told them. you they were there and that was uh, and that was it. So with the way the game is structured, it has its upsides and its downsides to it. I think for what it takes from A Link to the Past and runs with here, I think it's better for it as a result. It can make the second half of the game feel... I guess more repetitive a little bit in a sense that you're always like the specifically the way you're finding entry into any place where there's a, uh, where there's a sage and a dun- like a dungeon to go through. It's, you know, it's always going to be in a fissure that's specific to that area that you can get access to. And then uh, princess Hilda will talk to you every time when you get into a new area for that, which I thought was kind of a neat little atmospheric touch. I always kind of like that, but yeah, I like it too. Yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was, um, Really cool. And also, I can't get that, uh, the way she says, hey, just out of my mind. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I think when it comes to downsides, yeah, it can make the game feel a little segmented and makes the, the world of low world feel a little more disconnected than, say, like the dark world was. 
but you could consider it also an upside in as much as like it makes like within the world of low roll it makes sense that it's all broken up as it is uh even just the reason for the fishes appearing has to do with their chai force disappearing so you know it, it works i think it works both ways it's something that like it's it doesn't sit as fully satisfying but within with res- like with the respect to the what the game is doing i find it to be like mostly pretty good and once you kind of like the original legend of zelda you know once you come around to the second half of the game here you have that same kind of openness like the original well like the original legend of zelda that you could uh effectively chart out how you're going to play the game and that's you know like i said was saying earlier that's the thing i experimented more and, and uh was able to have a good deal more fun with and also keep the game a bit more challenging before picking up the uh uh, blue t- tunic a lot later than usual so i think the upsides yeah i find them to be overall worthwhile having it split like this so i have very little very few issues with it besides you know just the the difficulty curve which yeah the game is is not particularly difficult so hero, hero mode is is brutal though <laughs> so some of the puzzles can be i think there were a couple they might have just been bonus tests but there were a couple that i had to look up because i was like wait what is that what is where is that to me this game is a little bit weird because and i complained to you about this (laughs) before while i was playing it that like it simultaneously helps that you've played a link to the past but also it hurts you yeah like I'd really be curious to how someone who'd never played A Link to the Past sort of took this game because I feel like they might have to like throw on the hand glasses or like Google because I feel like they'd be lost. But also someone who'd played A Link to the Past, I was confused on like, especially like I literally did not get the Pegasus boots until the very end of the game. Oh, right. Because I didn't, I kept thinking, I guess I'll find them in a dungeon because like it's part of the story in A Link to the Past and like you go and you get them and then there's that like guy in the village that you can like catch up to once you have the Pegasus boots, but it doesn't do anything in the original, right? Right. He just, um, he just remarks on you being as quick as you are. It would make sense to him that you were able to steal to kidnap Princess Zelda. (laughs) Yeah. so, So like nothing happens. But anyways, when you have that guy like running around in the village, I was like, Oh, well, when I get the Pegasus boots, I'll make sure to come back to that. And then it was like, no, that's how you get the Pegasus boots, which yeah. like, makes sense. But also, like, I totally forgot. And it had been so long since I played that I, like, forgot how you get them. And um, also, somehow both times I've played these games, I don't get, like, the Titan Smith until, like, I, I'm literally going to every dungeon, like, hunting for it. And I don't find it until, like, the very end. For whatever reason, I always think that I can't get into, like, the Kakarika Village one until, like, way later in the game. Oh, right. Which is not really true, but I just get confused, and yeah. So, simultaneously, certain things that I remembered making it tricky, and then also somehow repeating the exact same mistakes in both <laughs> games. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's a lot to, um, lot to keep track of, and uh, a weird kind of knock-on effect of being as similar to the original game as it is. So, yeah, I mean, I like how it like improves, uh, especially like, I don't know, even like Tower of Hair. I'm like, oh, it's going to be like the same thing. But like, it's really not. It's very different. Um, And so it's cool how they take like these certain dungeons and like rooms you remember. And then just adding this new like going walking on walls ability like shakes it up so much. And there's such a great sense of height to it as well and you know that was something that a link to the past something that we talked about a lot with that game was how big of a deal it was that that game made you think about 
the dungeons as like fully conceptualized 3D spaces, even though you were playing in two dimensions. Yeah. Um, and how it had floors and whatnot, and and you would interact with things, and that would you know throughout the floors, and that would change things on lower floors or like pushing blocks and stuff like that. And so this game takes that same history and it just like takes it up like a, a notch, like so much so. Um, but, you know, this is I didn't play with 3D on on, you know, the N64 games, but I did for this one because it makes a huge difference. It's super crucial. And it's one of the rare 3DS games that really takes advantage of the effect and makes you want to use it. You know, that ability to to merge onto the walls and then kind of see the world in that 3D space, it even changes so that when you, like, pop out and you're looking down from, like, this top-down perspective, you still kind of perceive it as, like, this fully rendered space in 3D, which I think just felt really cool every time you go on a wall. And, like, it was definitely something that's, like, simple but very impressive to build to get the game to work from both of those perspectives and it also teaches you to look outside of the top-down camera angle that the game's giving you and imagine other possibilities which is so brilliant yeah that was a particular addition that looking at the trailers i'm like uh you know i guess that's kind of neat i guess i can see what they're trying to go for but it is it is something that once you get your hands on it and once you actually like you, I mean, you get it pretty much as soon as um, you get it in the Eastern Palace is where you get it. Uh, and it's immediately showing you like, hey, verticality matters a lot, a lot more now. Like, yeah, you might be working predominantly on like a 2D plane, like in most of the areas moving around in. But like when you get height, now you have to consider that. And that really does make a big difference in that. And uh, I really, there's a lot of puzzles that I always, even coming back to them, they gave me that sense of having to rediscover it again. Because I'm like, ah. Wait a second. Was I supposed to be high or low? Oh, Turtle Rock just. Oh yeah, there's so much high and low movement. So much high and low movement within that that I always, always forget. It start. It's it's a little more locked into memory now. The more I do it, but it's just like it still makes me think every time that I'm like, wait, I need to approach from here, but they have me blocked off there. Like there's a lot of really careful consideration for for things, and I really like how how they handled that. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the um, you mentioned you mentioned the general verticality, like the, how the you know they really feel like real places. Uh, I immediately thought of uh, Ice Palace in this game, which yes. just is <laughs> it goes down forever. I mean, you you get stuff that you just you simply just wouldn't be able to do on the on the Super Nintendo um, without with without some serious wizardry and some artistry involved in that. It's a, a lot more than they would have been involved or would have had the thought to do at the time. Um, and it really does make a big difference when you're in these like huge multi-story uh, locations. And they, and they have a couple times where they deliberately put you outside or in some space where you can see that clearly. Um, I think of, uh, was it the Wind Palace? I think was one of the other ones as well where you're put outside and you can see. And it's, it's a little unrealistic in the way it's portrayed, but it's still like, it it doesn't it you know it accomplishes its effect and Hyrule Castle does the same thing as well which then makes you start asking how tall is this castle yes. but it's it's cool in the moment you don't really you know I'm not really thinking about it I just think it's neat that it's just like we're out here on like a high rise and we're just hundreds of feet above the ground in the uh, in a location so it really does give you such a good sense of a uh, good sense of uh, space or like in other cases the thieves den or thieves hideout I think. Is another where there's a couple. There's a good number of spaces where there's just there's just layers of stuff going on, and you can just see all of it going on at once. Uh, I just really really uh, 
really like that. There's a great sense of uh, depth, but it also gets you thinking in a 3D way where it's like, oh, I could just drop down onto here or I could throw a bomb up to there and that would work just as well as just trying to get level with it. So a lot of it, the gameplay consequences of it were really, really well thought out. And I think that's what leads to so much of the appeal in playing it. It's just like, oh, dang, yeah, I didn't get to really do this before because prior they had to you know, simulate the idea of putting something up onto a higher surface in a different kind of way. Like you could also throw bombs up onto the castle walls in A Link to the Past as well, but it's not something that's as immediately explicit as it is here. And mm-hmm. I really, um, it just, I don't know, it adds to the, the the into like the ease of intuition with like trying to understand this game so yeah and and one of the things that I, I do really appreciate about this game is that the world feels very dense and there's a surprising amount to do and even though you don't have tons of meaningful interactions with characters the game totally makes the most of them and like brings them back as sages that you actually recognize Um, So I thought that was cool. And there's just a a little, I don't know, it's small things for me. It's like how in like that sages, the sages chamber that you can talk to everybody. Like anytime you beat a dungeon, you can talk to them. And the way that the camera rotates in that little area. I don't know. it's, it's, It's small things. It's the intro of the game that kind of makes it feel like this is sort of a lived in world. I don't know. And it it also kind of did a a good job for me of like building up like some empathy and care for like even like the people in low rule. So I don't know. I just thought it it was, you know, pretty strong with its mini games um, and like with the Mai Mai's, um, which makes the game so much more fun to explore. It's like nice to have a little gettable thing that you know, also rewards you in really cool ways. Oh, the rewards, the reward system in this game is, in this game is ah, excellent. So I good. It. I love it. I love that we effectively get a 2D version of the of Skulltulas in this game. My and my mice are just awesome, and their sound cues are adorable as well. Yes. So they're great, and oh my goodness, are the upgrades wonderful? Yes. <laughs> That's that's like half the thing I'm trying to chart out when I'm playing the game is what I actually want to touch on first. And it's it's fun. It's fun to think about it. It's also it's also worth mentioning. This is man, this is probably one of the most like well-balanced like item kits in a Zelda game. Like I think just about everything has some really really good usage overall. Uh, there's not there's really little I can like I I might underuse the bow. But even like the upgraded bow is still fairly worthwhile, and the upgraded hookshot is very inexpensive in its uh, meter usage, uh, as well as its ability to stun. There's just there's a lot of stuff you can do with them, and I, I like the the change to the meter overall. I think was a was a really really good choice. I think they started recognizing that it's just like you know it's neat to like have resource tracking, like for the player to be mindful about that. But it's gotten to the point like since so much of the design was reliant on players having the necessary items for puzzles. It's It started making resource management kind of a pointless affair. Exactly. It hasn't mattered since literally like the original game. Yeah. Where oh, they yeah. weren't really required to solve puzzles. Or if you didn't have something, the game just gave you the finger and didn't care. <laughs> yeah. It said, whoops, like, go outside. Well, um, yeah, you don't have bombs anymore out of your capacity of eight bombs. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Tough. Yeah, yeah it, it, it really hasn't mattered in a while. So I think switching to a system like this is great because now now 
on top of your uh, wall merging being uh, tied to it as well, you have a couple things you have to be mindful about. You can't stall on the wall forever, and you can't just spam certain items easily either. Yeah. So, And for me, like it actually helps me use certain items because I was so I would always be so stingy about I'm a very stingy player. Uh, If I have a magic meter, I'll never use magic because I don't know. I might need it. I, you know, like I won't use if it's something that can like disappear. I just don't really want to use it that much. So for me, having like a meter is like much easier to like wrap my head around and actually use items and have fun with them. Yeah, the nice fire rod was regularly a part of my kit throughout the entire run. So yes, I oh, so can't get fun. enough of it. So oh. fun. And if I can come up with a good excuse to throw uh, nice bombs, I do it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I made it a point of going after the uh, enhanced stamina right off the bat, which I knew was going to be a hard trip to do without getting any other upgrades, but it was honestly completely worth it. Yeah, I wish I had gotten that sooner. I still don't even remember where that was. I just, I got it at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, that was over in uh, in Ice Palace, oh, so, okay, yeah. which is a brutally, brutally difficult dungeon on hero mode. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, the, the boss in particular, I actually had, uh, once again, thinking of some neat tricks, I, I was playing on normal, so I didn't have to be as cautious, but I was like, what if, is there an alternate way to dodge the big ice uh, triangle attack, the freezing attack? And because that's like, that's like probably one of the harder attacks to just dodge by moving around because you just have so little control. Uh, and I was just like, oh, wait, yeah, you can just tornado rod above it. Duh. And immediately, I think I had no damage that on that. No, I might have took a, like a small amount of damage, but it was a good feeling that it's just like, dang, okay, I could come back to this on hero mode and probably do okay but i died a million times on on hero mode when i played it a while ago so i don't know it's just neat good good item kit and a good system to go along with it people have debated the merits of the rental system on its own and i mean yeah the the dying bit is a is a consequence um but since you know and i'm, I'm glad they're trying to make death more consequential to begin with um i still love the <laughs> the fact that ravio is like and uh yeah my friend here will pick up your items and then you'll just lie there. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was a funny bit of it. But I, yeah, just like you, I never died either on this. And um, uh, even apart from that, I guess the the downsides that people mention is the nature of how it opens up the game. It makes the game not progressively open up like it would normally. And that's, and that's something I can agree with to some amount. And I think it's more so my only qualm like I mentioned earlier, has to do with the difficulty scaling. It's just mm-hmm. the game The game isn't allowed to just put up a front. And I kind of, it does a little bit. The The Ice Palace, again, is is a bit more on the difficult side. But overall, it feels like all the dungeons are balanced to be just about the same difficulty varying here and there. And I kind of wish they were okay with just, like, I feel like Ice Palace, they were okay with doing that just because it's... um. It's guarded by Lynels who do so much damage, and it has a quite the enormous trek just to get up to it. But apart from that, yeah, I do I do wish they did a little more to kind of just be like, "Yep, you're getting into a tougher dungeon, and you can either be okay with that, or you can just come back later." So it's probably the one thing I wish I would have done more is just just kind of push against the player and just be like, "Hey, you can do it, but it's at a cost." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead and move on into presentation. Um, I'll start off by saying that, uh, well, 
I don't know. I'm kind of mixed on it. When I play it, I like it. And I think that some of the designs are like very sort of breathtaking, like the the depth and whatnot and sort of the scale of everything. Mm, I really like the music and I really like the, even going back and playing it, like the reorg, the, they're not orchestrations, but like the remixes and stuff are better than I even remembered them being. Hmm. Um, I was never really a huge fan of Link to the Past's art direction in the first place. So I feel like I'm kind of biased on it. On this game what, what do you think kyler i in most places i find i definitely yeah i kind of agree with you on that i find it to be a bit flat like yeah animated animated it's good it sits <laughs> sounds like a like a ridiculous remark to say it, it sits in a bit like too much of a cartoony realm for me the way like things are animated so it's not you know i don't feel like i take it as seriously it's, again it sounds like a weird remark almost hypocritical coming from me but it sits in that realm a little bit. I'm mostly okay with it once I get adjusted to it. Um, I weirdly like. I I don't like Link's model except like when except for like some of the cutscenes where you actually get a good view of him. I kind of I kind of like he looks otherwise. He's kind of it's kind of just cute or like especially in the last cutscenes. I like I like how he's presented. I like how the characters are presented. Yeah. Apart from that, in a weird sense, I feel like there's some Wind Waker vibes being channeled throughout most of like the. Uh, yeah animations and characters i can't put my finger on like it but the, it's like, uh, some like degree. the the knight's captain makes me think of uh makes me think of the ds games oh yeah right? yeah yeah that's kind of what i was trying to think of there's there's some bits that i think there's some crossover on so it just it made me think of those i think of uh, wind waker and just it's uh, sequels a little bit so i thought that was interesting um there are a couple things i think um the materials and shaders used uh particularly like on walls like when you're merged into them i like the uh the, like the reflective lighting on it it might look a little bit too plasticky at times but i think it's a nice enough touch that it still works within the world as it's presented and also uh water effects are really really nice too just, yeah i, I usually agree. just go into the i usually don't go into the swamp palace solely just to <laughs> hear the music accompanying the uh the atmosphere with it it's just it's nice so but it, but it uh it works and I think they struck a balance enough where their focus was performance and that hey for me I'm always always good with that oh yeah the performance is a huge aspect of this game it's yeah I don't know it's crucial yeah so if simplifying the aesthetics meant getting it to uh to play as smoothly as it does yeah I'm I'm good I'm I am definitely good with that so I was not expecting a 60 FPS Zelda game no let alone on the 3ds and I forgot so, that it even was when I played it again I was like holy crap this is crazy yeah it's it's nice I've only gotten dips of lag in like maybe a couple places usually usually when I've and usually at my own doing um have produced like too many on-screen effects whether through bombs or the usually the fire rod yes because of the, the, the all fire, the lighting it casts the fire rod will slow down a little bit yeah just a lot of lighting effects going on everywhere that it has to try to process. So, but that's pretty much just self-induced and I'm okay <laughs> with that. So everything else normal, like as far as normal operation goes, it's golden. So yeah, I think tonally it doesn't work for, well, okay. I don't know. Like the ending <laughs> works for me, but I do kind of, I, I miss the mystery of a link to the past. Yeah. And which I guess this game is supposed to be kind of beyond that and whatnot. And like, it's not like I really want like the rainy opening to like make a comeback here. But I don't know. I really liked that opening music and like 
I know that's very vague. Do you get a sense of what I'm saying? It it kind of backs yeah. away even more so from what A Link to the Past was doing. Yeah, there's definitely not as anywhere near as heavy as an atmosphere, I think, if that's kind of what you're getting at. Like the way, like this opening, I mean, maybe no, I'm just, I know you're not talking about the specifics, like the differences in the openings, but more so like just the atmosphere that A Link to the Past was able to create so effectively. That's yeah. not really as striking here. And sometimes that's just a matter of the medium difference and that you're able to push your imagination into A Link to the Past more because it's just like some sprites, whereas this game, it makes all of that more concrete, um, especially having like a 3D model for Link. But I don't know. Um, musically, I really like it. Um, I, mm, I don't really remember a lot of it. I, I like that it has that little different opening for Hyrule Field, as you set out. I think that was pretty nice. I actually like, um, the, like, main theme, the way that it's rendered in this game. Um, favorite new piece would probably be, like, the Mother Mai Mai song. I always looked forward to, like, <laughs> going into that little cave, because it's just, like, so catchy and fun. And I, I'm really bummed that of all the things that they remixed and redid, they didn't take the freaking credits. <laughs> And they didn't redo oh, right. the greatest credits in the history of the series. Come on, man. That was, like, disappointing. So that's, yeah. that's my biggest... Because they do such a good job, and I just would have liked to hear that in an official capacity. Um, I guess, like, ooh, Yuga's theme is good. Because I'm kind of mixed on, like, the Laurel Castle theme, which I feel like has kind of become, like, sort of this game's theme song. It was used in, like, all the... Uh, trailers and stuff is be like ah link between worlds it's this song i don't really like that song that much as it's funny too because the actual like hyrule hyrule castle sounds spookier and darker than the lower one in my opinion but i really do like yuga's theme it's got like a great sort of kefka <laughs> vibe to it um also kind of reminds me of um like kind of what we just got with um garahim <laughs> it's been oh yeah I've already forgotten that's a good sign. No, I love to hear him. I just brain fart. But, you know, I, I really Brains like that character isn't really much of a character, but he's got a good theme music. So I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the same same page here. Um, and just for just for the information to bring it up too, it's uh, the composer here is uh, Ryo uh, Nagamatsu, who <laughs> this doesn't sound promising. He started on We Play, but from there went untouched on a lot of big projects mainly a lot of mario related stuff probably there's some of the bigger mario titles and then he jumped on this is the, his first trip with uh, zelda was here although he may have touched on stuff in nintendo land so i wouldn't be surprised if they carried him on from here to do renditions probably because of his familiarity with just kind of doing reorchestrations i wasn't surprised when i saw him credited credited later on on the Link's awakening remake it just kind of made sense yeah, as far as his renditions, his renditions of the classics go, yeah, they're they're good overall. Um, some of them I find to just be like, yep, that's pretty much on level with the originals, and then I just simply have more nostalgia for the the SNES sound font. Um, or then others like, yeah, I like how they, um, I like one thing that he did thematically, which was uh, the the different field themes for basically when you're at the end game points of each segment. So once you pick up the Master Sword. The Hyrule Field cha theme changes to this big sweeping arrangement instead, and then pretty much remains like that for the rest of the game. And then uh, Low Roll, using the Dark World theme, changes to a more uh, kind of boisterous, kind of lead-in theme, which I really like how they built that as well. So just good, 
good rearrangements for more poignant parts of the game. Um, those are good. And as far as original music goes, yeah, I don't, it's, it's weird because I really like what he does with the dungeon music and then I just don't end up remembering it, which makes me sad. Like I, I mostly remember Swamp Palace. I generally don't want to remember Ice Palace and I think it's pretty whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't like the instrumentation and it just kind of is like, eh, it's okay. Um, the Desert Palace, I can't remember it for the life of me. But I just remember really liking it in the yes, moment of it. Yes, same. That one was really, really good. Um, beyond that, uh, there was two others that were not super memorable. Two others that were really atmospheric. I think um, was it Dark Palace? I think Dark Palace and the Skull uh, Skull Woods dungeon. Uh, both of those, you know, less much less memorable. But I found them to just be suitably. At- atmospheric for the for the dungeons so yeah i honestly don't remember it but i do know that like in pretty much every dungeon i was in i was surprised and appreciated the music and was like oh well that's nice it felt especially since you only really get two dungeon themes and like the um in a link to the past it was nice to have sort of that feeling and you know just it felt like the sound design was taken up another notch as it always is with them so you know i can say that i I definitely enjoyed it, and I was pleasantly surprised. And I, I think even, like, the rendition of, like, Kakariko Village is, like, very nice. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, um, you mentioned Low Rule Castle as well, and that's something that I also thought, I you know, when they initially were showing the trailer footage and were showing, we're having that music accompanying it, I'm like, oh, they're doing the thing like they did with Skyward Sword where they inverted, like, a, like a famous piece of music to kind of accompany it, and which Skyward Sword, like, thematically makes sense and how much you like that theme will also vary i find it to be i find it to be pretty good uh overall but i think trying it here it weirdly i think <laughs> i just think i think hyrule castle's theme is already too complex and too long to be inverted on to to work the way it does so it ends up sitting weird like it works um it's it's mostly fine so uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the same spot as you. I think they were just trying to carry on something thematically. Um, in the same way, the sound design is very similar to Skyward Swords. I know it was a thing I was kind of <laughs> getting at before, but it's maybe it makes more sense with this game in context. But yeah, I think they were just trying to do that and it doesn't... It, yeah, it's mostly just okay. I like the progression as it kind of grows, but... Yeah, it's just, like, I think the biggest thing for me is that, like, you go into that final dungeon and you just want, like, spooky, sort of uncomfortable feelings. And so for the game to be like, here you go, go save the day. I I mean, I guess then it kind of then pulls the rug out from under you, I guess. But mm, I think it would have just been cool if it was just... I think low rule is an opportunity to sort of cut the music and like kind of just like let the sound design do its work. And especially once you get, does it do the thing where you get higher and the music fades out? It does the music, the music changes as you climb the tower, I think. Uh, but in low rule castle. Yeah. Does it do that? It, it mostly just stays. No, like, I think once you get into the, the, um, the King's room or whatever that room was, I think the music cuts at that point altogether. Like it's just out. Yeah. Uh, but as you're ascending and as you're beating the bosses, it actually gets more, uh, there's like kind of more instrumentation filling it out. So, and it kind of shifts in tone. Yeah. I just think like, 
after like all the cool things of like Ganon's Tower and like climbing it and the way throughout all these games, you've had like the sound design work in all those areas. And heck, I mean, Link to the Past was the first one to even do it that way. And like, you know, had a different dungeon theme and all that stuff. And it was very cool. And so it just kind of feels like, meh, I don't know. Like from a, I like the ending from an emotional factor, like with the twists and stuff, like even though it's kind of silly, like it works for me Um, and it gets me and like seeing like the sacred realms, it's really interesting. I don't know. It just makes you think more about like the lore and connections of the world in a different sort of way. And so getting to like step out and like physically interact and like walk up to like the Triforce, like those are all meaningful moments to me when the game allows you to interact with it um, and instead of just showing you a cutscene, also has you walk around. Like, I always think that's always very powerful, interesting stuff, especially for something like 2D Zelda, um, 2D, you know, top-down type games in general. Um, that type of stuff is always uh, super impactful. But I, I just kind of think, like, with the music and everything, and, like, that's just kind of where 3D models and the art style lets you down is, like, it kind of takes away that imagination factor. And so it's just like Yuga Ganon can't be that scary. And like the yeah. lighting is very, I don't know. There's something I was going to complain about visually with the, this game. Probably would be like the lighting, which isn't always very dynamic. Yeah. It is in um whichever dungeon that's also kind of dark and spooky with the lights that you bomb to let the light in through the roof. Is that it? Oh, I think it's a dark, dark palace. palace? Yeah, yeah, I believe that's, that's the dark that, palace. That, that does some very effective stuff with lighting. But in I general, really like it's just too. kind of like it's very bright, it's very flat, and it kind of... I guess you get the thunder and stuff, but I don't know. Just in my memory, you just kind of see, like, you again, and you're like, all right, here we go. Like, I don't know. It's yeah. not that intimidating. Yeah. It's not as impactful as it would be, like, on a sprite game where you have... Well, yeah, and you know, A Link to the Past even played with lighting uh, in that final fight against Ganon. Um, oh, yeah. With, like, putting out the fires and stuff. Um, or putting out your, he puts out your lights. Yeah. And you like light them again and stuff to make them appear. Wow, it really sounds like I haven't played these games at all. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> when we played this game, I I binged it before Christmas because we were going to try to record um, earlier and then time got away from us and whatnot. So I like crunched on this game in like four days to like have it done in time. And then... <laughs> And now we're here recording. Now we're here. It's <laughs> been a long time since I've played it. And I yeah. played it so quickly. Um, it was exhausting. <laughs> it was a lot, which I also do with the length of the past. I, I just keep binging all the 2D games because I think I can. I'm like, ah, I can play it in two days. Don't ever do that. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but here I am again. So let's go ahead and move on to our comparison section then, which we've kind of been talking about to a degree. But maybe we should step away maybe a little bit from A Link to the Past and sort of talk about sort of the departure of this game. I mean, this game's a... Well, we can even start there, actually. This game is straight up a departure from A Link to the Past too, because back when we did that game, one of the things I complained about that I thought really sort of killed the game in a way for me was the way it numbered all of its dungeons um, Hmm. in the second half, even though you could do some of them out of order. And it was just kind of like... You look at your map and it's like, hey, here they are. Here you go. And it was like, okay, that it took away like a whole lot of the mystery uh, for me. 
And that was something from the original Legend of Zelda that I loved so much, was that the whole part of it was like going out, finding these dungeons, trying to figure out what to do next, like what's possible for you to do and achieve. And even though this game labels and like says like, here are where the dungeons are, um, the fact that it throws you the items and leaves it like open-ended, I honestly spent a lot of time like searching and trying to figure out how to get to different dungeons and like trying to figure out what was possible and what wasn't. Um, in a way that would honestly reminded me a lot of, of the original more so than a link to the past. Yeah. I, and I kind of, yeah, I had, I had kind of alluded to that as well earlier, as far as like the, um, the structure goes, I think the, the second half being handled as it is. Yeah. It's, it's, re- it's refreshing. And in some sense, there's still something to be said for the way that the original, like still manages to have like a structure of some kind that requires items, but it's done in a way that like even though I played this, played it maybe like two months ago or so, I I still can't even remember like what kind of order I'd want to tackle the game in again because I don't remember what's required and where is what. You could you consider it a good or bad thing on whether you remember that stuff very easily. It's it can be tough to just because the aesthetics, but it's it's definitely laid out more clearly here. And I think even just again like my my current approach to it now has something that has almost kind of made it a little more refreshing to come back to a link between worlds where it's like I can actually plan routes pretty decently well and just find ways to mix it up. Mm-hmm. I find that to be a really nice aspect of the game because it's something that I just kind of do to link to the past because I kind of want to and I feel like I'm bending rules to do so. Uh, not like explicitly so, but just more like I'm just kind of going on my way to not do certain things until later or try to do them sooner. It's nice for that to be a very organic part of the game. It's probably, I don't know if I can say very organic, in comparison to the original, which was a like a seamless kind of experience with that regard, but definitely the most organic we've had on in a while, where the, that the intention was to to open that up. It's so easy to think like it's not like a significant difference, but the series really hadn't been any like anywhere near this open ended since a link to the past, uh, and really since the since the original. And so I think I think just drawing upon the original in this way was something that made me very hopeful for what was going to come out of out of the future of Zelda games. I think that was like what made some of the developer commentary about like picking up Wind Waker for an HD uh, touch up and what they were saying, like what their intention was of doing that was and what their intention of doing a link to the past sequel was and everything kind of started to come together. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm down for this kind of experimentation because it's an experimentation that's at the end of the day, drawing upon the original's appeal and and moving forward with the polish and the structure that has come from the design of the most, you know, the more recent games. And, and then we, I mean, when you look at, um, you think of sections like the lead into the Dark Palace or like getting over to the Desert Palace in particular, all of them are structured in a way that's, um, that like when you think about it, is very similar to what they were already going, like what they were doing very heavily in uh, Skyward Sword. In the same sense, it's taking that like meticulous structure, but there's something very seamless about it. And I think, I mean, I think the pacing has a big part to do with that. You just don't really notice it. You're just kind of going through, not like you're going through the motions, but more like you're going through, you're thinking about this stuff and you're doing it quickly to a point that you're like, this is a linear segment that's just leading me to where I need to go. It's like you, you feel like you're properly like, you know, carving your way through like a space and kind of going in and out. In some places, like in the Desert Palace, going in and out of, you know, Hyrule and Low Roll in order to make your way to the dungeon. And so it's not always the case. And it doesn't even always have to be the case either. I actually like that there's a good deal of variety, that there's some places that you can just kind of get to. And there's some others that you just have to do a little bit more 
kind of involved work for it, um, like like the Ice Palace, which is a heck of a trek. But I love I love that trek simply just because having that kind of build up is really nice. So it's it's um it's really really well thought out, and I like the the bringing of the two together in its own way. I think it's help it helps like not to disparage the original Legend of Zelda, but it it helps um it helps kind of I think add character to the world of the game that there are spaces that you can kind of get to without too much contest and others with big lead-ins and like that. And I think it helps just create greater distinctions between all, all these places. Mm-hmm. It also adds just a lot of significance to them, I think. Yes. Which is a kind of a big part of just building the world. So there, there's a lot, of, a lot of good that comes with it, I think. I think with this game, you sort of see... I mean, you see kind of the pros and cons. There is sort of a return to kind of archaic thinking... Um, I enjoyed that the game lets me choose my own path, but I also think that it struggles a little bit in how much information NPCs deliver. Again, the fact that like I couldn't find any in-game sort of answer about like the Pegasus boots, that just feels like something, I don't know, like that could be in there. And it feels a little bit limited in that, you know, there aren't really like quests not like very many, I guess. So it would have been cool to have more of like a questing element or like uh, people's requests to take. Um, That was something that we didn't cover the game as part of this podcast, but something I really enjoyed about something like the Minish Cap is how it took a 2D game and that top-down Zelda, but also incorporated some of like Majora's Mask sort of like interactivity with other people. Um, So in some ways I think like... It's great that this game really builds off A Link to the Past, but it also builds on it in such a straightforward way that it kind of like, in some ways almost feels like the other games in the series didn't even happen. Yeah. So, you know. It's a good way of putting it. It's like the story is above my expectations, but my expectations are also like A Link to the Past. And it's nice to have something that's really sort of scaled back. But I also think to a certain degree you sort of miss a little bit of other things. And I think having a game that's such a literal retread of like taking a link to the past overworld and whatnot, it kind of feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity. And it is really one of the things that kind of does bother me about the game is that it it simultaneously wants to like have its cake and eat it too. Like it wants to take some of the same places and ideas and like recreate them pretty literally but then it also subverts them and confuses you. And ultimately, I think sometimes it's a game that because it's uneven in how it applies those methods, it can just become confusing. And it's easy if you've played the other game to just get it confused with the other and not know what you're going to find. And I, again, like I said, I would really be interested how, and I think this game is pretty popular with like tons of people. Like I don't really see a lot of complaints of like, this game has you know, unimpenetrable and it's so old and it's, it's really got old bones, but it it does really have old bones. Um, (laughs) and it, you know, it's not always the most straightforward on everything that exists. You know, I had to look up a few things. And so I'm not sure for me if I totally think that they're pros or cons. Um, it just, it, it's weird in that in some stuff it really builds on it and like really, especially in like the dungeon and sort of like design elements there. And it does have more people to interact with and does have more mini games. Um, but it, it still does 
feel like that was my biggest complaint with the link to the past is that it's a little bit hollow and it, it doesn't really have a lot of like character and like tone and then this game sort of doubled down on some of that stuff but one of the things i i do appreciate despite all that is that this is a game that had the courage to like kind of just put the re like push the reset button and go back to what made it so successful in the first place. And I also think it was great as sort of like a, it's sort of an announcement from Nintendo saying, hey, we haven't forgotten about these games and we still want to make 2D games. And like, we still have certain things that we want to explore and do, especially since like, again, they hadn't made one of their own since <sighs> Link's Awakening. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy. That was many yeah. games ago. Um, so they really sort of just like abandoned that line of thinking. And I think when you play this game, it also is sort of a good reminder of that Zelda is flexible and that it can be lots of different things. I think after where the 3D games went, they just kind of kept iterating on each other, but not really getting better. And I think this game is like kind of a nice reset of thinking and, you know, just them taking the order out of the equation was very bold and forcing themselves to design dungeons that did not require, you know, find the key item, then use the key item to beat the boss and solve the, the problems. I think that's a huge thing that totally, you know, will have ramifications on the series and prove that you can remove things from this formula and change things up that have been there forever. And you can use different things you know, different abilities and, and create something that's still satisfying. Yeah. That's the thing I keep thinking about with this game is just the way, like basically what's to, to come from it. And I mean, since that's just alluding to what we already know exists, saying it is effectively just confirming what's already happened. But even just thinking about it at the time, it's kind of, it really did up the, up the prospects for what was to, what was to come of the series by having a foundation like this. Um, uh, yeah. I think it definitely built a lot of trust. Yeah. Yeah. That was the big thing for me. It was just coming off of Skyward Sword. And even even after our last playthrough and being like, man, if I didn't know what was to come, I would probably be where I was at before, which was like, is this really all we're going to get from it? And, you know, without even disparaging that with that, you know, beating up Skyward Sword too much on that because I enjoyed it for what it is. It's just that it put it in a place where it's just like, is this I mean, are we stuck in formula? Is this all we're going to really do with it? And so yeah, it really helps a lot that they they were willing to do as much as they were, and again, like as much as people could could make questions about the actual the the the, eff the effectiveness of the rental system itself, the structure of the game, uh, without question, was a was an active choice that they made that came with both its upsides and downsides, and that's where that's where working with that structure forward, it's figuring out how to strike that balance. That ends up capturing the elements, the worthwhile elements that have come out of the last, some of the major 3D games leading up to this point, but still learning how to embrace the spirit of the original Legend of Zelda in the process, to, in, in the way over. So, and I think that's something that they're going to continue to to, to uh, work through on that. Yeah, and I, I think it's a good proof of concept for them as a team of being like, hey, people still like this, people still want this. Like, the games aren't irrelevant, you just... You need to look back into your past and then figure things out. Like ignore what's going on around you, ignore what you've done. Just go back and play with something you had before and, and see what you can do with it. And so, you know, obviously we got very good results. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Wow. So we have really, (laughs) I think this game on its own is sort of a struggle to sort of verbalize what it means and what its impact on the series is will be felt much more in our next episode, which I'm sure will be quite a lot. Um, So I regret that this uh, particular episode is not incredibly long, but we have tried our best And I think that we should tip our caps and just move on to what we remember the most, which I have no idea, but you say something (laughs) and I'll think of mine. (laughs) Very well. Um, I'll even start by saying like, yeah, it's it's weird to speak of the game's accolades to even like really enjoy a lot of what it has to offer and then just be like, oh yeah, I guess I don't remember that much. And I think it comes down to the, the game doesn't have a whole ton of character to it i suppose that might come from aping a link to the past so much some of it has to go with its presentation as well there's not a lot of dynamicism to the total experience on its own right that might be the kind of repetitive nature of it that i kind of got at a little bit which i don't find to bother me too much it just doesn't it's i think the best phrase i can say is it's not like a very striking game even drawn upon link to the past it doesn't strike in the in the open like in the at the start and at the end in the same way either i mean the, the end does the end does for what it is but yeah, when it comes to just as, this as just an isolated experience, it's uh yeah, it's kind of hard to point out things to remember. It's just it's it's well, hard. and we also kind it's of hard. divide different Zelda games really based on like their aesthetics, which makes this one very difficult because again, yes, it's aping so much of its aesthetics from Link to the Past. But even if we go, ah, oh, that was the one with Midna. That's the one with you know Fee. This game doesn't really have that it's just a very it's a game yeah <laughs> like yeah it does have a story but it's narrative does not really interrupt you much at all like it's not like the game stops you at a certain point and says hey you need to go you know do this thing before you can you just walk around and solve puzzles and whatnot like it's a video game it's a it's a darn good one but yeah. it's really hard to <laughs> those sort of it's funny that like those sort of cinematic moments in Zelda are tend to be, I've, I've thought of how many times, cause I was going to say, Oh, my, my most memorable part is the ending. And I'm like, how many games have I said that for in this series <laughs> yeah. where I was like, Oh, it's the opening, the ending. Oh, it's the ocean. And with this game, uh... <laughs> but it doesn't mean I don't like it. It's just, yeah. it's, it's something that I enjoy while playing. And then it feels like it fades away in my brain very quickly. It's not a game I would say that I make memories in. Yeah, I can agree with that. I, am, I was even just looking at the notes and the list of episodes and just looking at the uh, the number of sequels in here of which, well, I mean, pulling specifically from what we decided to cover, uh, it's three, uh, which is we uh, Adventure of Link, Majora's Mask, and then, of course, this game, uh, of which, yeah, I think by comparison, the other two sequels for that matter they're very different they're very distinct uh games um on one side for probably far the worse and the other as a huge compliment to its uh to its uh predecessor for that matter so yeah i can't uh, sometimes i can't help but feel that if we were gonna get like a top-down zelda especially with 3d graphics for well okay i almost forgot that the ds games but you gotta forgive me for getting for, for nearly forgetting those games but sorry spirit tracks they they were distinct they they were distinct (laughs) um (laughs) spirit tracks is sweet that game still makes me i mean i haven't played it forever but i can watch the last 10 minutes and it makes me misty yeah that's what i feel (laughs) um yeah link between worlds i think just and of course 
maybe it's unfair. Maybe it's unfair to ask a game to be comparable, like a game that's a sequel to a game that's 25 years its senior, to be comparable to a sequel to a game that was developed under extremely extraordinary circumstances and was otherwise, you know, developed at a time that it was going to pass completely under the radar until becoming known later, which I'm talking about Majora's Mask in this case. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think... <laughs> I don't think you should develop games in those circumstances. It's not, it's hardly ideal and it didn't work out for Wind Waker, but, but having that same energy, that same drive that would push a game to develop within its own spec um, and really carve out its own identity. I think it's something that would have um, really made the game stick out a lot more for what it is. Um, is it a game that's worth playing either way? hundred percent. Absolutely. I would still a 3DS is not hard to pick up these days, and you also get Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. I would, I would 100% pick up this game um, and play it. I feel like I'm making a recommendation and not telling what I remember. But I guess I'm making the point. It's, um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't, it doesn't stick that much. But, I, I, you know, I enjoy coming back to it, though. I certainly, I certainly definitely, like, enjoy coming back to it. As much as I do A Link to the Past, they really sit on equal levels for me for that reason. Um, a Link to the Past just ends up it has it, yeah. It just has a much stronger identity for what it is. I mean, mainly because it's that you know, is the original that this game was basing itself off of. So it's just one of those games you have to play to understand. And I think most of the three D games they don't really have that. You could watch, you know, a let's play or a long play of those, and you could kind of really get the gist, you know. But most of the two D games to understand really, you kind of just have to play them. And that's kind of where I stand with this one. Is like. Uh, you know, it all just kind of blurs together because you just, you, it's just fun. There's always a lot to do and you're always making up plans in your head. You know, I guess, let me throw in one last criticism. Not that I think I've really been hard on this game because I really like it a lot. Maybe one of the things that might have made it more memorable for me, but also difficult. So I don't know if this might be a poor suggestion is what I gave Link to the Past crap for back in the day uh, when we did that episode was that it reveals the map to you immediately. Uh, You don't uncover it. You know, you don't uncover new squares. It just goes, here's the map. And so it removes a little bit of mystery. And I think that's one thing that maybe the reason this game isn't really resonating in our memory banks is because it's not a very mysterious game. You've already kind of played it. It's just like a better version of that game. Uh, which already to me was not very mysterious because again, it shows you the map, shows where everything is. So it just kind of feels like, ah, go there, 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 there. And it's sort of missing something, you know, something that Link's Awakening was really great at was feeling very mysterious. Mm. It's world felt very interconnected and like a real mystery to get around. Um, And, you know, any little bit that helped you get your bearings was like very welcome. And here it just kind of is like, kind of just shows you everything. Um... Maybe dynamic weather. I don't know. It's just something... I don't want to say it's like Candyland or plasticky. <laughs> Again, I really enjoy playing this game. Um, and I... You know, the story really got me at the end. It was... You know, it, it really touched me in a way. But... It's sort of just an experience in and of itself. It's not... It's... It feels like a toy in a way that other games in the series haven't, which also means it's much more fun <laughs> than other games in the series because uh, it really just leans into its gaminess yeah. um, and just throwing you a controller and letting you have fun. But, you know, I don't know. It just does kind of feel like one of those games to me, especially since we've had so 
well, fun is a loose term here, perhaps, but in all of the other games we've been playing, you know, we talk to every NPC, we try to do everything we can, we try to learn as much about the world, and we've had little moments of discovery of going, hey, did you know that that Goron up there talks about this? You know, sometimes exasperated <laughs> by what we're told by the games. Um, but I've had fun talking to different characters and learning about the game world, and you know, Majora's Mask is a sequel that does that really well. It takes its, you know, it really builds on its world and on that character and expands the universe in a meaningful way. And I think because this game is just straight up in like the same game world, it feels kind of more like a remake in some ways than like a true sequel. Um, that it doesn't really feel like it's building on a foundation. Like Link to the Past was a very vague game and this game just kind of doubles down on that. So it's like, it's fun and I enjoy playing it and I really do like it. And I really think it's a special, important game. But, you know, once you close the lid on your 3DS, it's like, well, that was fun. Next episode, we finish the season back where we began when Breath of the Wild strips down the series to its NES roots. Is it a bold reinvention or an open world copycat? Next time on A Retro Perspective. <laughs>